Welcome to Ashamed of Thrones, your weekly recap for HBO's Finger in the Butthole, a Game of Thrones. This yeah. week we're reviewing episode 9, Battle of the Bastards. And uh, my name is Doug, with me is Brian, and I think it's safe to assume, I haven't talked to you about this, but I think it's safe to assume you think this episode is fucking awesome, right? I do. Yes, I do. Uh, it might be their best episode. Uh, you know, there were a couple predictable twists and a few things I didn't particularly like, but really that would be nitpicking. I mean, this was, I thought this was a great episode. Um, and even the scenes in Marine, uh, were surprisingly good because, uh, we saw some real action in Marine and that thing seems to be hurtling forward. So I, I, from top to bottom, I, I thought this was a great episode. Yeah, I have to agree. And, um, uh, initially when I saw the episode last night for the first time, I, um, you know, I enjoyed the hell out of it, but the nitpicks bothered me. They bothered me less the second time around. And I just like, it's rare that I watch the show twice, the episode twice, and I enjoy it, um, more the second time and have less nitpicks. But yeah, you're right. There was a little bit of predictability that stops this from being a perfect, uh, episode in my opinion. Uh, but once again, yeah, it is all nitpicks. This is great. This is, you know... This is what makes the shitty episodes hard to stomach because we know that they're, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, and it wasn't all just action. I mean, the action was spectacular, but I think even the the dialogue wasn't as cringeworthy. Um, so I think they just, you know, they were firing on all cylinders and, uh, you know, I, I like this actually better than uh, Hard Home because at Hard Home, nothing was really at stake. It was just stating how much of a threat the White Walkers were. This was really... Um, you know, had consequences to the narrative and it involved, you know, the outcome greatly involved uh, several of our, you know, lovable the, the main Critical characters. protagonists were right. involved in this episode. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and, and theoretically, who who could represent the ice and who represents the fire in the, the show? Is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> no, no. It, I mean, no, it's, it was a statement. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yes. So, yeah, so... John's obviously uh, trying to unite humanity or the good guys because, let's face it, uh, the Boltons would get destroyed against the uh, White Walkers, I imagine. Who knows? Maybe that's totally uh, uh, false. Maybe they'd be amazing fighting the <laughs> White Walkers. I can see like him taking like playing mind games with the Night's King. Can you imagine that? That's quite a bit of speculation. <laughs> or trying to to flay a White Walker with a Valyrian steel uh, uh, knife. Oh, that would be interesting. I think so. Yeah. All right, so let's jump into this. Um, both feet. Uh, why don't you lead us off and tell us uh, how this the episode begins? So we open in Marine, and the uh, Wise Masters are, of course, assaulting Marine. We see Cannonball smashing Marine. And it doesn't appear that uh, that Marine is fighting back at all. And no, I guess just taking it. Well, I guess that's because the Navy was burned in that prior episode by, you know, uh, someone that was never identified. Um, so Tyrion is uh, speaking to Danny's concern. He thinks that he's in trouble. He tries to do some of the classic Tyrion um, talking his way out of situations. Uh, but Danny's not really uh, that upset with him, and they discuss the plan moving forward. Uh, Danny's initial instinct is to raise the entire, raise every slave city to the ground. And Tyrion counsels her otherwise, and that uh, a better tact would be to leave the cities standing at least. And uh, they also discuss, of course, Danny's 
father's propensity or, or plan to, to burn down Winterfell or down King's Landing, which once again foreshadows what's like. Yeah, that pretty much confirms the theory we had last week about the rumor. I don't see I don't how see it's how, anything yeah. but wildfire that uh, Cersei is talking about with Kyber as far as those rumors from last week. Sure. It was interesting because Tyrion has done a lot of great things in diplomacy prior to this episode and not received any recognition for it. Yeah, it's just yeah. like the Blackwater. I mean, uh, well, you know... In, in uh, once again, I don't watch the show or, or watch the show once and then forget about it. But in the books, he basically keeps his shit together. He keeps the battle going. He actually keeps things going long enough for reinforcements to arrive. And in the reinforcements in the Blackwater were Highgarden and his father's army, Tywin. Um, but he gets absolutely no credit for um, maintaining such a rocky ship uh, or, oh, or no, keeping things not. together. And it's the same thing here. He gets no credit for stopping the attacks of the Sons of the Harpy for however long it was. Until- oh, I thought that he did receive some degree of credit, and I think Danny realized that and was still willing to listen to him, despite right. it not working out maybe as, as well as he wanted it to, but it certainly staved off the attack by the wise masters, uh, you would think, at least, right. uh, but long I feel enough like, for Danny to return. Yeah, but I feel like once Danny got there, she seems like, I don't care. She's just like, I'll destroy everybody regardless. I mean... She didn't seem too upset with Tyrion, uh, and I imagine that's because she is so empowered now that she has, I don't know, a billion Dothraki and um, at least one dragon at this point. So, But I think she is listening to him because I think that the by negotiating, it cuts to the next scene where she's meeting with the slavers. Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about like uh, before she talks about his plan, she, oh, okay. she doesn't rail him for getting the situation that they're in now. That's what I'm talking about. But I, about. I think that she probably realizes that this was inevitable. Right. It was a bad situation. He he basically took office in a downturn. Yeah. It, it, I mean, they were the slavers were going to attack. And, right. And anything, he might have delayed them by attempting to negotiate with them prior to this happening. Or, uh, you know, uh, we don't really know. I mean, it uh, it could have been the negotiations could have been what provoked the actual attack. I, I don't really know. I don't think that's that important. Yeah, I don't either, but I think uh, your point is taken, and I agree. Tyrion doesn't really get the credit he deserves for... None uh, of the other authorities in the past have given him any of the credit that he right. deserves for any of this stuff. So uh, we go to a meeting with the slavers, and uh, it's a real mix-up, Doug. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, I want to point out, before we go to the hillside, the, as a way of a transition from the throne room, not even the throne room, Danny's apartments where she's talking to Tyrion. Before mm-hmm. we get to the hillside, the transition is the window blows up and oh, like, yes. they duck and cover. And I just thought <laughs> this reminds me of fucking Marty McFly blowing out Doc Brown's amplifier at the beginning of Back to the Future. <laughs> like it just seemed like a ridiculous, like, and they just turn around and look. I don't know if that was supposed to be comic relief or what, but I don't know. Uh, it just seemed a very weird transition. Uh, you know, I'm not going to nitpick about it, but I just thought I was like, what? What the fuck is that? Yeah, what was the point of that? Yeah. Other than to show that the danger they're in, maybe? The danger they're in, but I, I, you know, they didn't seem to feel that danger in the next scene, which is where we're going to go right now. Yeah, I guess they're they're meeting with the slavers, and I guess there is a uh, way for them to uh, have a parlay in the middle of a battle without anybody's life being in danger. I'm not sure. Right. And they don't, they don't, usually when you parlay in the middle of a battle, there's a ceasefire. I guess they they didn't bother to do that, but whatever. Nitpick. Sure. So uh, the the there's a mix up again about who who is surrendering to who. Oh and, God! Yeah. <laughs> Did somebody order a quesadilla? Because that was the cheesiest shit I've heard in my life. Like 
Like, what a trope. You knew that was going to happen. Like, as soon as you said, we're here to discuss surrender or whatever, yeah. or Tyrion said it, you knew that it was going to be like, no, it's your surrender. See how clever that is? Absolutely. Yeah, no question. Ugh. So I, I didn't, it didn't bother me that much. It didn't much. bother me too much, but I, I definitely uh, audibly groaned at that scene, that point. And the, 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 out of all the complaints, or the only complaints about this episode more related to predictability and kind of boring choices. Right, cliches. Which, yeah, which this really was. a. I mean, the scene itself, where that part was a cliche, but nonetheless, it was rendered exciting to me at least because next we have Drogon flying in, and I, I guess he's completely trained now, and he's fucking huge. Yeah, he's giant. giant. And I, mean, I liked how they hinted at him. It was a point where they act, the show actually used subtlety, and uh, you saw Danny was talking to the slaver, and she looked a little bit off to the side, and then we cut to the three slavers, and you see like this small like black bat in the back like distance like hundreds of yards away. And I was like, "Is that? Yes. Is that? Is that?" And then sure enough, fuck yeah, it was Drogon. So I really like that. Yeah, the CGI looked really good. Yeah, it did uh, better than it has in other scenes or other. I mean, it looks like they uh, the, they spent almost their entire. FX budget on right. this episode. I agree. Because there hasn't been a whole lot of FX, uh, at least not to this scale, prior to this episode right. this season. And I've, I've seen um, other people talk about this whole scene, though, could have been done in, at the end of last episode and raised last episode from being a turd sandwich to being like a, um, I don't know, a turd taco. Because Yeah, that's fair. They didn't need to like delay this until now, except for, I guess, to make it like the... I guess to self-perpetuate the episode nine of the season being like the holy shit um, high point of the of the season as a whole, which I guess this definitely added to that. I mean, I I enjoyed the hell out of this, um, but I, I think it's a good uh, parallel in that they tied they had Danny's story and they had Jon Snow's story in the same episode because of the criticalness of the of those characters. Well, it's not like they're both Targaryens. <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, so uh, Drogon flies in, uh, Danny mounts him and uh, takes off. And while they're flying uh, across, you see the other dragons <laughs> just, escape from. I didn't quite understand what just, that was all about. <laughs> Once again, though, like, here's the thing is. Busting out like the Kool-Aid man. Right. I'll forgive it. It doesn't make any goddamn yeah. sense that they free themselves because it wasn't like. If they had, like, some unsully open the doors at that time, it would have made a little bit more sense. But once again, it's a nitpick, and it looks so great, and I didn't care. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a I little bit strange. I think that they're probably, hearing, they're probably hearing Drogon flying by. Sure, if that's what you want to tell yourself to, make that, to have this I make sense, know. go ahead. Yeah, it didn't, yeah I don't know. <laughs> um, and so uh, they uh, start their flying. They, I guess the dragons join Drogon. And then we cut to uh, the Sons of the Harpy, Outside of the gate, shanking a bunch of what appeared to be masters. I don't, yeah, I'm not sure what... Once again, another scene that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, why yeah. are these people outside of the gates of Marine? Um, and why are the Sons of Harpy attacking what, who, who appear to be masters? Yeah. I, they I were dressed as masters. Yeah, I guess, but uh, it still doesn't make sense why they were outside the city. Like, if they mm -hmm. were tearing up the city from inside... And uh, you know somebody lowered the gate or something. I don't know. It just they did it for it's it's another situation where they just did it for uh, cinematic beauty um, as opposed to making narrative sense. And once again, I enjoyed the scene so much that I didn't really care. Whatever. Uh, right. Sons of the, the harpy, harpy. You know, we're just slaughtering people, and it sets up what happens next. So, which is the Dothraki appear and uh, uh, led by Dario and slice off some dude's head. 
Yeah, you got to have Dario do something uh, in particularly uh, good, you know. Yes. Because he's mm-hmm. <sighs> he's Danny's boyfriend, so we got to get him involved, I guess. Yeah. So then we come back to Danny, and she's uh, flying Drogon, and they're circling the ships out there, and she says the magic words Drew carries, and uh, <laughs> yes, and. T- Drew carries. Yes, and uh, uh, when I watched that, I, I wanted to to. And I don't know how to do Photoshop, but I wanted to to do a Photoshop of a dragon just spitting out tons and tons of Drew Carey heads. Um, <laughs> I thought that would have been pretty funny with the caption. Well, Drew Carries. Ask one of our yeah. listeners to do it. They'll they'll do it right away. Yes, please do that, Steve. <laughs> um, so uh, then we cut to, uh, or they not cut to, uh, the dragons begin burning the slaver navy. Okay, so yeah, the the. The dragons go into uh, you know hover mode like they're Harrier jets, and they just attack one or two ships. Um, and it makes sense, you know, when you look back that they wanted to capture the Armada and maybe instead of just destroying them all. But I would have loved just a strafing run of like the three dragons just flying and just shooting a steady string as they pass over like ten ships because you don't have to obliterate a ship with fire. You just set it on fire, and it's the whole thing's made out of wood. It's going to blow up, you know, or just drown, I don't know, or or break apart. Um, but once again, another nitpick. Uh, it was definitely a display of dominance. Um, you know, whatever. They burned the shit out of one, one or two ships, and I guess that was enough they to get everybody to destroy that ship, though. They did yeah. destroy the fuck out of that ship. All right, so then we go back up to the hill um, where the uh, three slaver guys are hanging out with uh, Tyrion and Bloodworm, or Grey Worm, Bloodworm. Um... But uh, Tyrion's like, yeah, so you guys have lost. Uh, Anyway, um, you know, we have a forgiving queen, but since you violated the peace deal that you made with me, uh, one of you has to die. And basically this was a, you know, a Bible, uh, you know, a Bible fable where, uh, you know, the two guys give up the one guy and the one guy is the one who survives and the other two get killed um, by Grey Worm doing, you know, a double throat slit yeah double kill <laughs> double kill sure. yeah and whatever that's fine and you know Tyrion, you know pats him on the shoulder and says tell the other uh you know everybody else what you saw here and tell them what'll happen if uh danny comes to their city so essentially it, it it neuters the whole slaver's bay but i gotta think that these people will just rebel again i still it's still the same question we had last week what now now that she's one marine back and she's quelled the other slave cities and she's using you know the fear of annihilation to enforce that what's gonna happen when she goes to westeros won't these people just take up their same shitty ways as soon as she's gone i I don't understand i don't know either and i I mean i don't think that she does have a plan i don't know that she does Um, i don't think she might not even care yeah nothing's been communicated to us during the show that would give any indication of what her plan is as far as um, maintaining those cities moving forward. I don't know. Right. Well, that's the end of that scene. And then we uh, go to the north. Yeah, this, I mean, that scene was, this was one of the first uh, or more recent Denny episodes where she's displaying her full power. And this is one of the first ones in a while that didn't really fumble the ball completely. This one I actually bought into, and I was excited by, and now it's it 
it's her story is becoming interesting. Of course, it just took uh, friggin' thirty episodes to get to this point. You know, right? And she's fully actualized, and I would have loved that yes. to be more of a a one moment like kind of a thing instead of being drug and drug out over several episodes. Uh, like. Uh, we didn't need her rallying the Dothraki in the uh, Dothraki Sea with Drogon. We could have just cut from right. the end of her burning those guys alive, which I wasn't a huge fan of, but whatever. She got all of that Dothraki, that's fine. And just cut to her showing up, fucking enforcing her will and being a totally self-actualized uh, ruler or conqueror and just having complete right. confidence and having like a, a definite change to her uh, personality which has happened now, but once again, I feel like the impact has been lost because we did drag, drag this out for so many episodes. Yeah, and there have been so many other power reveals by Danny that have seemed have fallen so flat. Right. I mean, it, it's kind of a relief to this one, uh, a stark contrast to this one, where this X one actually feels fully realized. Um, so I was, I was for once, I was excited about what was happening, in Marine. Um, after this scene, I agree. I mean, it was it, it's the high point for the Danny episode, and, it, and once again, this just bolsters how good this uh, episode was because this is the only other location um, that we deal with uh, in this episode. It's just this in the north. So, which I thought it was interesting that they didn't show this in any of the previews um, coming into this episode. Yeah, I don't know why. It's not like it's a big. I don't think, once again, we weren't surprised by much that happened in this episode, so it wasn't surprising what happened. We figured that uh, Danny would come back with the Dothraki mm-hmm. and basically smash lay down the, the law. Yeah, smash slavers, yeah. basically set shit to rights, and that's exactly what happened. Um, but because it looked fantastic with the dragons and uh, everything else, um, it hit. It Once again, it for so many misses where things fall flat, this actually hit. I was like, I was, you know, go Danny, which I haven't been in so many of the other scenes that we've seen. No, this usually season. it's go fuck yourself, Danny. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> so then we uh, cut to the coin toss between Sansa and John. <laughs> yeah, they meet at midfield. Yeah. Sure, sure. Why don't you describe this? All scene? right. So the emissaries from both the Starks and the Bolton uh, camps meet in a field before Winterfell to parlay. Uh, Ramsey's a dick. Yeah, you know what I mean? Just gloating, saying, well, you can surrender, this can happen, and Sansa can get back into my bed. Uh, John offers single combat as a solution. Uh, Ramsay says no, obviously, because he's not a fucking idiot. Uh, Sansa asks for proof of Rickon's life. They throw Shaggy Head's <laughs> fucking umber, the, the douchebag umber. Small John yeah. throws Shaggy's Shaggy Dog's head down out of, a, out of a sack, and I'm thinking, how old is this fucking head? Like, even if every episode we've seen so far is just one day, which it, it seems to have probably been weeks because John and Sansa have been going around on their recruiting trip, that, that fucking head should just be a skull. Um, but whatever. I, once again, nitpick. Who gives a shit? Um, uh, Ramsey begins to talk to uh, Sansa after showing the head, but Sansa cuts him off and says, you're going to die tomorrow, Lord Bolton. <laughs> and I'm like, ooh, that's pretty badass. Sleep well. Sleep well, and then she turns it and runs o- or goes off. And I was like, "Well, that's actually pretty fucking awesome. That's badass." Um, so yeah, we get a lot of badass girl power stuff, uh, and it actually seems authentic this time. Like Sophie Turner, it's a credit to her acting that she was able to pull that off, and it didn't sound cheesy at all. Um, I felt that, like that's her a fairly resolve. cheesy line. It is a very che- cheesy line. Now, that's the thing is, if you In have good, if you have good actors, they can pull it off, and I feel like she pulled this off. 
Do you agree? I agree, yes. Yeah, it seemed pretty badass. But the one thing that this scene did do is it revealed that uh, the potential intrigue regarding Ramsey's use of the word bastard in the letter, the pink letter, right. um, was apparently not uh, some sort of subterfuge. Because <laughs> yeah. Once you know, again, uh, if you think it's subtlety or uh, subterfuge or intrigue was involved, uh, I think it's safe to say err on the side of being a simple explanation as far as the show yes. is concerned because they do not surprise you or uh, trust you with intrigue. So... Yeah, the pink letter, the letter that arrived to John trying to goad him into um, coming Come to Winterfell. Come see, bastard. Right, Come it, see, bastard. it was actually written by Ramsey. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't a grand plan to get him to uh, march on Winterfell to uh, being manipulated. He wasn't being manipulated or uh, anything second level. It was just Ramsey trying to get John to come out. We thought it could have been Littlefinger. And I mean, I guess it's not uh, entirely... We're not entirely sure that the pink letter came from Ramsey, but the real uh, marker that would seem to indicate it did come from Ramsey is that he hated the word bastard in the books, which apparently he doesn't in the show. Right. It was the the language uh, that a lot of people think it's written by somebody else. And once again, it's it still could be that way in the books. And I, I feel like as I, you know, this is a big picture thing, but, uh, you know, I started this podcast because I wanted to read the books and discover all this stuff, and I realized it was impossible with the pop culture phenomenon that is Game of Thrones to not be ruined. Uh, but I I am now more thoroughly convinced that the book's going to be completely fucking different, and I'm going to enjoy the shit out of it because it has... This is just so far gone. It's It really is fan fiction is how I'm, I'm viewing it. There's so much that is just incredibly different. Um, yeah, I mean, I've read stuff, you know, in defense of the producers in that, uh, you know, they signed on to this thing, likely thinking that they would be able to crib from the books. And George Martin is so far behind on the books that uh, they're kind of left to make up what they think on their own in addition after getting poor Martin's and poor babies. <laughs> yeah. As they fall asleep on their pile of money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not feeling uh, any pity at those rich sons of bitches. They're so rich they can get weird ear uh, rings in the you know top part of their ear. <laughs> Have you watched the behind the episodes? I don't know. They no. look like a bunch of creeps. <laughs> <laughs> like one guy looks like Dracula. He's got this like, fucking overbite and his hair slicked back. The other guy's got like permanently yellow teeth and he's got a weird uh, you know circular ring. So the D and D they're they're both a bunch of creepers at least from their outward appearance. Anyway, so we cut back to the scene, and Ramsey's trying to intimidate uh, the other members of the emissary by uh, talking about, oh, you know, I haven't pet my dogs for seven days. Notice how he didn't tell Sansa that. Right. <laughs> Sansa had just left, but he tells the other people he hadn't fed the dogs in the seven days, and uh, how he's, yeah, I wonder what part of their the, you they're going to eat. Is it going to be your, you know, your balls? That's nice. Uh but Tormund well, he and he planned to return her to his bed. Yeah. Um, I don't think he planned to feed her the, to the dogs. Yeah, but so, I'm just saying that she spits that line back out at him at the end of the episode, and she wasn't yeah. even around to hear it. Oh, okay, gotcha. Nitpick once again. Who cares? But uh, as Ramsey's trying to intimidate people, both Tormund and Davos seem thoroughly unimpressed. They're just looking at him like, mm, you know. Why would they? I mean, he's just some guy. Right, and you know? they do not fear him at all. Uh, but I feel like they've, they're have they both guys that have seen much worse, as bad as this battle is going to be. 
you know, they both dealt with White Walkers and, you know, Davos is a veteran of I don't know how many battles at this point. So freaking uh, Tormund was allied with the Thens. Right. And they ate fucking people. They ate fucking yeah. Ollie's parents. They ate Crow. <laughs> and who and else? Crow. Who knows what goes on beyond the, the, the wall? I mean, I'm sure Tormund's probably seen White Walkers. Oh, he has seen White Walkers. Right. He's seen he's an he's army seen of the dead. Right, so he's not worried about some fucking uh, spoiled... Square-headed clown. He's not going to scare him. All right, so then we jump to... uh, It's map time in the command tent, and John's basically telling him that, you know, they're fucked. They can dig trenches to prevent being um, surrounded. Why are they cramming? The fucking battles in less than 12 hours. (laughs) Cramming? They're like... Yeah, it's it's like back in college, and they're taking Adderall to... Just study all night. They're looking for the cliff notes. And yeah. basically, um, yeah, they're just saying how they don't want to get surrounded, which is, you know, foreshadowing for when they get surrounded. Um, <laughs> uh, and then basically the guys go off and Sansa gets all on top of John for, uh, uh, I know him better than anyone else. You should listen to me. Uh, she does probably know him better than anybody else, but not as much as well as let's say twenty good men know the North. Uh, but she probably knows him pretty good. And In the uh, <laughs> Jesus, but um, <laughs> he's a little to the left. Just keep that in mind, John. <laughs> and hangs a little to the left, yeah. but uh, <laughs> awful. So uh, yeah, she she says don't fall into anything. He he's gonna he's gonna see through all your traps and he's gonna lay traps for you. Once again, this is more foreshadowing. Um, um, but then she says, says she says something that I thought was obvious, and I'm pretty sure we pointed this out in a previous episode that uh, Rickon is fucked. His very survival yes. doesn't make any sense. When he was brought to uh, Lord Ramsay or Ramsay Snow, call him um, in the previous episodes. I was just like, wait a minute, what does he stand to gain from keeping this kid around? This kid surviving means that his place at Winterfell as the Warden of the North is in jeopardy. Uh, and I, once again, I don't see what his value is by keeping him around, except for maybe to enforce uh, Jon Snow's good behavior. And if he's not getting that, why wouldn't he get? Why wouldn't he die? Right, right. Uh, so, whatever. Uh, and Sansa does say that she will kill herself before going back to Ramsay. And John vows to never let him touch her again, um, leading to the next scene where he basically sets up a scenario where he can get killed and never come back. So <laughs> well, it was he kind wasn't of too serious about that promise. It was it was the scene was kind of annoying because Sansa got real mouthy about how she knows things, but didn't offer any any real advice. Yeah, she's like to... a philosopher. She can point out the problems, but she can't offer any solutions. Right, those who teach. So. Uh, Jesus. So yeah, and I, I don't know. Uh, it, it was it was frustrating because once again, why the fuck is she not saying that she is in contact or she's summoned the Knights of the Vale? That doesn't make any goddamn sense. Like, no. unle- the only thing that makes sense is you know that one line that uh, Littlefinger said to her before um, he left her was, "Don't trust Jon Snow. He's your half brother." Uh, well, he that, didn't even say don't trust him. Well, basically, that's what he alluded to. Yes. And that little seed of doubt caused all of this. It seems a little far-fetched. But what's what's the seed of doubt? Uh, why why would she ever trust Littlefinger over John? Right. And maybe it's not trusting him. It's maybe she believes the sentiment and hiring him say it out loud resonated with her 
already conceived notions, but who gives a shit? It's 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 ridiculous. What I mean, but what what is what is she the only thing that I can think of or there's a couple of things that could be going on here. One is that Sansa might not be sure if the Knights of the Vale are going to come. And so if she tells John now that that could screw up all their plans that they've already have, I guess. Uh, but the other other theory would be that and this is supported by the fact that she's not trusting John with this information is that she's trying to maintain her power and in order to do that, she allows John's army to get the shit kicked out of him. And then by uh, the Knights of the Vale swooping in, she's got the more powerful force between the two of them. That would make some sense. But I don't think that John's ever shown any reason to distrust him or he that doesn't he show is, any inclination to power. He doesn't right, want to be. Next thing I was going to say. He doesn't want to be the Lord of Winterfell. He doesn't want to be a king. And we hear this from uh, Tormund and Davos, and it's absolutely correct. He he's not doing this for power, and I feel like uh, maybe Sansa is, but yeah, she should recognize that that's not the case with John. So it really doesn't make a lot of sense. And trying to see more intrigue in it, I feel, is a uh, fool's errand at this point because, it, like it, I it, said, yeah. the 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 sh- the show has panned out to on several occasions that it's not trying to outsmart you or have you pay too close of attention. It just it's. It is what it is, and I hate that expression. Well, I do think that there is going to be some sort of reckoning based on the next, um, the preview for the next episode. All right, but the seeds so, of the seeds still. of its origin seem uh, ridiculous. Yeah, they really so. do. Why would you ever trust Littlefinger over Jon Snow? It doesn't make any sense, right. and it, it's led to a lot of people being killed. Right. But oh, oh and then the but then the other thing is though, if they showed up with the full complement of the Knights of the Vale, then uh, it would Ramsey- be a siege, perhaps. Yeah, and that's so, the only- yeah. I, I agree. It would have been a siege, and they would have had to sit there for years and and tried to camp out. And at that point, maybe the Lannisters would have showed up. But uh, but is 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 Sansa that that's much of a battle planner? I don't I, think she. I is. don't think she is either. Know. So so then we go to uh, Tormund and Davos following the battle planning uh, session, and they're discussing the upcoming battle and how they both uh, served other kings that have failed. Um, and then they discuss their pre game routines, and apparently. Tormund drinks soured goat's milk, which we assume is alcoholic, and Davos poops in fields. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, really, that's the, the Davos' pregame routine is just setting him up for what's coming here shortly. Right. And, and well, to have, I guess, amusing banter. Yeah. I mean, it, I, this scene didn't really add much to me, but nope. I, I, it can't be all, all action. And One, one thing I did, I did want to say real quick, one thing I thought was uh, awkward is... Davos was saying that Stannis had some demons, and Torm's like, did you see these demons? Yes. And obviously Davos meant it metaphorically, but I was thinking, wait a minute, King Stannis had literal demons, and those literal demons popped out of Melisandre's lady parts. Yes. So I thought it was a little awkward to bring that up, and maybe, I don't know if that was intentionally there to make us think of uh, the shadow baby and the dark magic and the demon, uh, you know, demon uh, ology that... Melisandre's capable of, but that's immediately what I thought, and I I don't think I was the only one. I I can't. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah maybe. But then and then the net. Well, that would make sense because the next scene, John goes to see right. Melisandre in her tent, and she seems a uh, real dro- droopy dog kind of thing. Um, she's a real she's a real poison pill lately. Yeah, Eeyore, Eeyoreing <laughs> around the place. Um, no. So uh, <laughs> so. John uh, and her discuss the upcoming battle, uh, why she wasn't there, um, and uh, he tells her that he does not want to be brought back 
but she says that she's going to ignore his do not resuscitate request. <laughs> yeah, the um, DNR is getting torn up. Yeah, yeah, because I, her theory is that if the God, the Lord of Light wants John to live, she'll allow him. She'll be able to bring him back. If he doesn't want John to live, then she won't be able to bring him back. So um, seems pretty deterministic. But uh, you know, it was it was a real ominous tone in the scene. Yeah, but I'm not I, sure what the what it really I, added. I think the whole point was to get us as fans to believe that there was a. Uh, a chance in hell that John would die and not be brought back. Uh, I think that's the only reason for this scene. So, all uh, you know, basically she's having another crisis of faith, which we already did all this earlier in the season, so I don't know why, why Yeah, she just again. resurrected John. Right, I and I thought... She wouldn't be, like, more on board now than any time, because this is... That was arguably the greatest display of her power. Right, so you would think that she is now back on track. She's drinking the Kool-Aid, and... um you know, uh, why John asked her, why did the God bring him back? And she's like, I have no idea. Well, the obvious answer is yes, she does. She thinks that John is a Zora high, the prophesized right. hero of a legend. Um, you know, like I said, I think the only reason this scene exists and this doubt that she's showing exists is to serve the narrative purpose of us making, making us fear for John's life in the upcoming battle. Um, sure. And I feel like it fails. Once again, I did not, <laughs> even in the darkest moments, I didn't think that John was going to die. And even if he died, I didn't think there was any way that she wouldn't bring him back because she said she's going to bring him back. Well, so, I, it, but then again, in the realities of the battlefield, I don't know how she would have. I know. She can bring him back the next day. He was dead for hours last time. <laughs> unless Ramsey gets him and flays him alive. But man, if he flays him alive and she brought him back, how awesome would that be? Oh, man. Like you terrible. Know. No, that'd be terrible. <laughs> that'd be awesome. I would. Oh. So, so then we go to Davos wandering around, and I guess the the new joke uh, you can replace the does a bear shit in the woods with does Davos poo in a tundra. Um, yeah, so, and he does. Davos mentions shitting himself later in the episode too when he yeah. before he sends the archers uh, in. <laughs> He's just obsessed with just shitting, I guess. Yeah, and I don't know that they would have adult diapers back then. I think we, we've broached the topic of adult diapers in prior episodes. In medieval but, times, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so I guess they're just pooping in the bear pelts. I don't know. So uh, it really, this scene's an excuse for Davos to find Shireen's toy near the pyre. You can tell he figured out what happened. Um, and I this, guess it, it does it does lend itself to the overall foreboding of the mood as well. Yes, and it was—I mean, it, it was silly. I thought not silly, but I—I I was sort of inconsequential. But it's setting up this conflict that I don't know is really necessary for the the the, the purposes of the larger story. But uh, the one thing that was remarkable about this scene is how well it was shot and uh, yeah. Davos standing in front of this as the sun rose. That was and, yeah. a beautifully composed scene. It looked like yeah. you know the dawn was coming and the the sky looked like a moldering fire. Like it—it it just looked, you know, it looked surreal because it didn't look. 100% realistic at all, but it still mm -hmm. looked beautiful. So, yeah, it's a really interesting juxtaposition of the darkness versus light, good versus evil, that sort of thing. Right. The daybreak versus the burning of a child. Uh, and again, I don't think we've mentioned this, but this is the same director who directed uh, Hard Home and right. apparently has also directed episode 10. So, hopefully, we have another Corker in store. Oh, great. Yep. So, why don't you take us uh, back to Marine? All right. So, we got a Marine, and Theon and Yara are there, uh, I guess, and they propose a alliance with Danny. Uh, Yara and Danny trade girl power quips back and forth and verbal fist bumps, uh, but basically comes down to they bring a hundred ships, 
Um, and with the slaver ships that uh, Danny just uh, allocated from the battle, they might have enough to invade Westeros. Uh, they joke about how their fathers were, were, all their fathers were evil men. And sure enough, you know, Tywin. How they have daddy issues. <laughs> yeah, all of them have daddy issues. And once again, this, this episode aired on Father's Day. Um, Danny accepts the al- allegiance uh, on the conditions that the, the Ironborn stop being Ironborn uh, and stop raving, reading, raving, looting, basically stop their way of life. And, uh, you know, reluctantly they accept. So I'm thinking like, you know, so we all know that House Greyjoy's log- slogan is what? What is dead may never die? No, that's just what they say all the time. Um, okay. It's like a Lannister pays its debts is not their house slogan. Uh, it's um, uh, hear me roar is the Lannister slogan. Uh, Winner's coming is uh, the Starks. And the Greyjoys is we do not sow. Meaning that they don't uh, they don't plant crops. They don't think ahead. Their whole thing is, uh, you know, their entire economy is all based on that rape money. All that money. Well, paying you get. the iron price. <laughs> paying the iron price. Get all that money from the rapes and reavings. Uh, so yeah, they don't they don't really have and their whole house slogan is saying we're not gonna sew or we don't sew. And I guess they're gonna have to change that to me. I guess we sew sometimes. Uh, because they just are saying no to the old ways. But uh, I guess that's fine. I mean it's it's nitpicky, but I was thinking they should have asked for like a permanent foothold on the mainland to do farming or basically get an economy going that wasn't based in uh piratry which is what it is and i was thinking hey you know what a great place for that would be deepwood mott where those bitch-ass lovers live take their land away and give it to the fucking Greyjoys. but it's not like danny would have any idea oh i guess the the Greyjoys. the Greyjoys just asked for it they say these punk ass bitches and then you know uh, if she meets up with john and be like oh yeah the glovers they're they're pieces of shit take their land sure so i didn't get much else from this this um from this scene, besides uh, the Greyjoys, or at least Yara and Theon, are aligning with uh, Danny, makes me wonder what uh, Euron's contribution is going to be, or what he's going to do in reaction to this. Yeah, number something two, has to happen. Something has to. I mean, they, uh, well, yes. I mean, that's as generous as we can I mean, be. I, 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 I know I can. That is as broad as possible. No, no, but, but it's the, it's the, all you can say for sure, given the track record of the show. Yeah, they had the uh, Euron and his gang have to be disposed of in some manner. We yes, just they know. have to come into play. Uh, and once again, who are they going to? They're not going to align with the Starks. That I, I don't know if they'll align with the Lannisters and whoever's in charge in King's Landing. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's all kind of silly. Yeah. If if he's if the if Euron's crew is not going to be the one aligning with uh, Danny, unless. I mean, otherwise, the entire point of his appearance was to force Yara and Theon to come over to Marine and make a which, concession. Which, which just is, seems clunky as shit, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, unless the the, uh, the producers felt like they had to bring in the King's Moot, which for... I mean, for it's amazing. Reasons the book readers know <laughs> you never want to include the King's Moot. Um <laughs> Which, uh, if you are not a book reader, you could not understand the pain of reading the King's Mood chapters in those books. Pretty awful. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I'd rather have uh, a few rounds with Ramsey than reread those things. So so basically, we don't know what this is going to lead to besides, I got to think that, uh, you know, the Greyjoys can't stop being 
the Greyjoys. I, I don't know. Even if yeah, uh, even if this all works out perfectly, I feel like they're going to be problems if, let's say, best case scenario, Danny unites the Seven Kingdoms, except for the Iron Islands. Uh, I feel like they're going to come into a conflict uh, eventually. Uh, it just seems a little much, but I understand why the Greyjoys make the deal because they have no other option. So, well, now they have a female leader. You know, uh, maybe that signals more willingness towards peace. But I don't think Yara has done anything other than yeah. reap. You know. <laughs> So, yeah, they're really progressive. They're like, oh, okay, we're going to have a female ruler in King's Landing. We'll have a female queen of the Iron Islands. Mm-hmm. Oh, but you got to stop the raping. Oh, we can't stop raping. <laughs> yeah. I need to go fuck the tits off of someone. <laughs> yeah. By yeah. force. Uh, yeah. So it, it seems a little crazy. Whatever. And uh, you know what? The most shocking part of this uh, this scene is that your description did not include the phrase scissoring. <laughs> I thought that was coming for sure. I tried to, inc- I tried to work Knowing it in you. there. Yeah. But yeah, there was that little ploy. A lot of people were uh, speculating. Once again, I feel like I I don't know if I would have been, I really don't care, but I don't know if I'd have been on board with it. But a lot of people were speculating. They were setting up, they revealed Yara to be um, into chicks right before she uh, met Danny, kind of leading to what to a lot of people were hoping that she would try to make a move on Danny uh, and we'd get some kind of, you know, Girl on girl, dragon, squid, <laughs> scissoring going on, but that did not happen. They there did allude is. to it. I worked it in. There There's you go. classic Doug. All right, so uh, okay, so are you ready to do this? this? Is the big? Uh, yeah, this is the big shebang. All right, um, I'll start it off. We're gonna go back and forth because this thing just goes on forever. But uh, we're uh, before Winterfell in the field, and we get a real good look at the Stark forces. We get these long sweeping shots. And it's all gorgeous. You got horses, you got wildlings, and you got one fucking giant. And then John, you know, rolls up, and then we get a good look at the Bolton forces, which look a lot more numerous, a lot more organized, and they have a few flayed men, but not just a few flayed men, a few flayed men on fire. And I saw people online uh, pointing to those, uh, the flayed men as yard markers for the archers. (laughs) Oh, I'm, I'm dead serious. Because oh, it, no, come on. That's 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 reading too much. That's trying to make the bullshit uh, ridiculousness of how far Ramsey can and how accurately he can shoot an arrow try to make sense. Uh, you're no, just, it's just if, if you're a good archer, then you should know that you should be able to calculate distances. I mean, it would help calculation of distance for how yeah, and high if you're a really good archer. Sword. You can uh, shoot an arrow three football fields away. Sure. Doesn't make uh, a whole lot of sense. Well, good for you. You debunked that myth. But at the same time, who the fuck are these people? Who are these huh? flayed men? Did they have any prisoners that we knew about? Like, if one right. would have been Yara or something, or if they had, like, we captured a bunch of your scouts, and they, they mentioned that during the uh, preamble, uh, would have made a little bit more sense. But whatever. Whatever. They're just random dudes. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, so, we see uh, mirroring John... Um, emerging from his group, we see Ramsey emerging from his line of soldiers carrying a rope, and behind him is Rickon. Uh, he makes a big show of raising his knife into the air, and instead of murdering uh, Rickon right there, he frees him from the bonds of his ropes, um, says, do you like games, little man? He says, we got a game, just run to uh, your brother. Go on, no big deal. Uh, and then, of course... Rickon starts running away, 
And Ramsey, actually, walks until Ramsey says, "No, you, you have, have to run." run. No, you have to run. The game. Right, and I thought that was kind of amusing. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, but this totally, and then Ramsey, of course, gets a uh, bow and arrow handed to him, and he tar- starts taking shots at him, intentionally miss- missing. Uh, we all know that when you run from an alligator or from arrows, you should zigzag. And I guess, uh, you know, growing up in the north, you didn't get any of that alligator training because uh, Rickon just makes a beeline, making it somewhat easy. But Ramsey toys with them and misses a couple times. Um, so that he gets that distance where John is within range. Right. And then, yeah. and then this is the uh, drink phrase for the evening. And then at the last possible moment, drink. Uh, Ramsey puts an arrow through uh, Rickon, um, and he dies painlessly, like instantly, just w- through the heart, uh, no suffering. Um, he did, he did go. Uh, yeah, he did do a little bit of a death, death knell. Whatever. I thought, like, I mean, I don't know. I, I really didn't care about Rickon. How do you, how do you care about a character who you haven't seen at all, um, or got to know at all? And really, their only value is what they mean to other characters that you do care about, like John and Sansa. Yeah, it, this this scene, this this part was um, the the definitely did not have the emotional impact that other deaths have had for that nope. reason. But it also highlighted how shitty it was for them to bring back Rickon and and Yara only right. to have them or. Uh, yeah, it's, is, which what's her name in the in the show? The, it was uh, that, the Asha. So they didn't yeah, change yeah. her name; like they changed. No, it was Osha. So yes. Osha, and okay, I just justify why they changed it for the show. Yeah. Osha was so, the wildling girl that uh, escorted Rickon um, away and got killed by Ramsey three episodes ago, or whatever. And yeah, so, Asha is the name of Yara in the book. So there you go. So this just highlighted how how kind of dumb this was. It was dumb. Um, but I, I mean, I understand what they were going for. I just didn't really buy it, and it didn't have an emotional impact to me. But then also at the same time, it confirmed the that the worst version of the Umbers um, is coming true, and that the Umbers are actually siding with in the little right. John. Why make why make small John or little John or whatever? Why make that Umber guy so yeah. charming? <laughs> what? It's a little John. Well, it's correct. You no, 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 no. Um, small uh, John, I think yeah, is what they call. John. But anyway, um, why make him so charming and so much of a badass just to have him be like a dick? I guess just to confuse us and not to know uh, we don't know what's up or down. But even at the last moment, I was hoping there would be some intrigue. I was hoping that the Umbers or the Car Starks would turn on Ramsey. We get none of that. The North doesn't remember. The North forgot everything and just moved on with their day. Uh, they're like, okay, well, I got to get groceries now. They're not. They're not holding a candle for the Starks. Uh, no, that, that it, was I, that was a really disappointing right it, lack of turn. And I know a lot of people online say just go. And in fact, you said it several times. Go with the most boring explanation. But geez, that is a boring explanation. Right. It's just very boring. But once again, this is this is the nitpicks that stop this show or this at least episode from being uh, the the perfect episode it could have been. Mm-hmm. But then again, if the Umber, if the Small John, turned around and killed Ramsey, it certainly wouldn't have had the emotional impact of what did end up happening. So, right, but uh, he could have turned out. I mean, he could have waited to turn at an opportune moment or something. Yeah, and still, like his turning could have ended up badly. And then we have what happens at the last minute with Littlefinger. But yeah. uh, you know, what more intrigue that they don't want to bother with. So, uh, yeah. so John. Um, 
Actually, you take it from here. So John, as, as uh, John is right there as Rickon falls, and so John decides to charge uh, Ramsey, which is exactly what uh, Sansa told him not to do. Right. And uh, the uh, uh, the release of I'm sorry, Ra- Ramsey's archers shoot a number of um, uh, arrows at John, which eventually take down his horse. John still keeps going at Ramsey. And then Ramsey releases the riders, and um, at the same time, uh, the John's army realizes what's happening. And despite you know the fact that they were supposed to be patient and allow Ramsey to come to them, now they realize that they have to charge in order to save John. Yeah, mainly at the urging of uh, you know Tormund and a yes. few other people. So right, which you know uh, it was kind of the foreshadowing by Sansa was so heavy-handed. I mean, you kind of saw all this coming, but You're still. Right. But at the same time, it was justified. Like, how does how does John not suppress his rage? Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, what Davos did, Davos just became aware. That's that absolutely she, true. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I guess Davos an older, more seasoned uh, human being, and he's able to put his personal shit aside, whereas John is, you know, still still a kid. You know, he's already yeah. dead, but he's still. Uh, I think he's seen enough shit at this right. point. So. But anyway, so John keeps charging, and just when he's about to be killed by uh, the riders, uh, the Wilding Army smashes into the riders. Uh, incredibly shot. I mean, just it's unbelievable how well it was shot. Right. And what follows is basically, I can just call it like a mashup between Saving Private Ryan and and, uh, Braveheart. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just amazing shit. Yeah, and what was it? So then Ramsey uh, orders his uh, archers to fire volleys of arrows into all the forces, killing his own men at the right. same time. And they had that mirrored with Davos on the other side, and Davos decided at the last second, well, we can't shoot these arrows, we'll just kill our own guys. But Ramsay yeah, doesn't have which, a problem with that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm surprised that other lords there who supplied those forces or where his bannermen aren't more pissed off about that. Well, I think at this point, here's the thing, is this point he didn't send in the ca- he sent in the cavalry, which I assume was all his. I don't I don't understand I yeah. don't know for sure. But he didn't send the Umbers and the Karstarks uh, for sure until later. He sends the infantry forces because we see their we see the small John lead the forces later. Uh, and right. I saw some Umber banners and I saw some Karstark banners. So I don't know whether maybe because all he sent as far as guys has been the the horse uh, the cavalry. So uh, maybe he's just killing his own guys, which I guess is better. It still is fucked up. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think we know that uh, Ramsey leads through fear and not not through courage or or, or people respect. loving him. But yeah. still, that's I mean, that's pretty far beyond the pale, you know. Right. So we get an incredible shot following John in battle. Right, uh, and he just bats a thousand. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, it, it just really incredible how it displayed the chaos of uh, theoretically what would be a medieval battle, and eventually it just becomes a pile of bodies. Not entirely sure how that pile of bodies emerged. It did just kind of show up out of nowhere. Yeah. And I feel like they went a little bit heavy-handed with it. If the pile of bodies would have been like, I don't know, five feet high, that I think that would have been that would have sold it better for me. But instantly, it's like, you know, uh, it's a visual obstruction. The piles of bodies are, are they're just all around the place. And, you know, to climb over them, it's a, it's a big hurdle. I feel like they just kind of went a little bit too far with how many bodies. Yes, I agree. Uh, but I whatever. Agree. Once again, the nitpick, it, it adds to the chaos. Just the impacts of the horse-on-horse collisions, you really don't see that. Um, I felt, uh, uh, you know, people's heads were getting cut off. 
it was a mixture of, you know, and if you watch the making of the battle, which I watched it very briefly before I went to work this morning, uh, it looked really impressive shit. They were combining green screen with CGI and live action, and it all looked pretty fucking great. Um, yeah. I just can't agreed. get over how well this this looked, and, and you felt the chaos, and, and John was your perspective through this whole battle. So, you know, we followed him around for the most part. We did have some, you know, shots of Ramsey and shots of Davos, but for the most part, we experienced this battle from John's perspective, and I think it really worked out. Yeah, they took what they did, what this guy did in the Hard Home episode with John tracking him, and, uh, I mean, multiplied it times 100 in this scene. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible. Right. And so at some, at some point in the battle, Davos uh, decides that the archers aren't going to be worth shit, and they charge into the battle, and it's at that point that Ramsey sends forth the Umbers to enter the enter the game, um, not before the Umbers do uh, a medieval version of an Under Armour commercial about who owns the North. And, Just uh, do it. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I mean, the Umbers. Uh, we are the Umbers. Yeah, <laughs> North, North, North. So the Umbers uh, apparently have like a, a Greek hoplite type thing where they have giant shields and these. Uh, long spears and incredible formation and circle uh, everyone. Yeah. Circle John's army now that everybody's in the battle and the Davos' archers can't Yeah, help. they form like a, a a horseshoe, but the edge the edge of the horseshoe that would be open is the mound of bodies, so there really is no escape. Uh, and that's, this just goes to show you that, like, Ramsey is, like, acting like a general and he's commanding these forces and meanwhile, John's forces have no leader. They're just an no. unorganized rabble because their commander, John Snow, uh, went ahead and everything, all organization has fallen apart. So I, this seemed believable in my opinion. And once again, they're so far ahead of their trenches that they dug uh, that, you know, it, it makes sense. It's just a mob. Oh, absolutely. And then so uh, the the... A few people try to break the ranks of the Umbers, but it's not successful. Yeah, I would have thought one one would have been a little bit more effective here. God damn it! Just give him like a tree. Yeah, that's all he needs. <laughs> and, right. and then you know what he does next? What Whir- whirly bird? He does not do a whirly bird. No, he should have. He should. Yeah, if he would have had a tree trunk, he would have whirly bird like the shit out of those guys. But I guess you know it wouldn't have worked from a story, to whatever story they're trying to tell here. Why not but. give him the world's biggest sword? And just let him swing that shit around and kill a hundred people at a time. Yeah, or if he would just would have snatched up like ten of the spears and like put them together like a, a bundle of uh, twigs, he could have had the same thing and just knocked people through a loop or yeah. whatever. Uh, you know, it's it wasn't it wasn't meant to be. They do throw Juan Juan a bone. He punches a horse out. He uh, you know <laughs> takes another guy and basically dismembers him. Throws another guy over his shoulder. So he yeah. does tear shit up, but uh, you know he was just getting poked a lot, and he was very ineffective here. Yeah, it was disappointing. So uh, the uh, at some point the Jon Snow's army attempts to escape over the bodies. Um, they panic, and at this while that's going on, the Umbers are standing on top of the bodies, just uh, cutting everyone who runs yeah. up that so body. There's no bomb. escape. It's just a grind, a meat grinder at this yeah. point. Yeah. So then John ends up being, falling on the ground and he's being trampled. Well, and- before that, Tormund mm-hmm. tries to uh, get past the shield wall and gets a, an ouchie. Uh, yes. He gets a flesh wound and he orders his men to, he's like, fuck this, come on. And I don't know if he he he, he started the, the, the retreat or the trampling towards the bodies, which I guess is why, uh, how John got covered up. 
I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah, that uh, was that was brutal. I mean, yeah, uh, it was it was pretty well done. You know, people got trampled on, and at the same time, they did that uh, obligatory uh, scene in all war movies where you take a a, a look at the injured guys and everybody just screaming. Yeah. One guy's yeah. walking around with no legs or crawling around with no legs. Another guy has his like intestines on the outside and people are just screaming and crying. And they do that for about 10 seconds. It's obligatory, but we get that too. But I, I think it was good. I mean, it, it was, was definitely really good. Incredibly brutal imagery and it really, and the mud helped. It was so dirty. You know, you yes. saw some guy get his head stamped into the mud and probably going to suffocate under the weight of a whole bunch mm-hmm. of dude trampling, trampling them. So, and I'll be honest, I thought that Jon Snow, in the moment, I thought, oh man, he he might bite it here. I, I thought it was entirely possible. I thought he would, I, I really feared that they do one of those other uh, action tropes where the guy gets covered up, and then like he wakes up after the battle. Um, <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> oh man, Yeah, I don't know what I drank, but... And but at the uh, same time, uh, Tormund's engaged in a fight with the uh, small John, right. getting his ass kicked. He's just getting the shit kicked out of yeah. him. Yeah, um, uh, and that's when we see the old mockingbird. Right before that, we get we get John emerging from the mosh pit to do some crowd surfing, and yes. they do that over the headshot. And uh, somebody online smarter than me pointed out that it does mirror Danny's uh, white savior moment from the Misa. Yeah, Misa. the Misa moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess, but like, I just liked it how like everybody was so crammed they couldn't do go anywhere. And you saw a couple guys on the like second or third rewatch, uh, there were like guys that were clearly dead, but they were standing up because they were just being propped together uh, because there was nowhere to go. They couldn't fall. Um, Jesus, I didn't notice that. Oh yeah, was, go back and watch that. I watched. I only watched the episode twice, uh, but I watched the battle a third time because it was you know enjoyable. I you know, I'm sadist, uh, but. Um, yeah, then, yes, we get the horn, and the horn is a distraction for Tormund uh, to basically Frank Grimes, the small John, Umber, yeah. and bite his fucking throat out, and then proceed to stab him with a knife he pulls out from nowhere, uh, which is great. But yes, uh, the Knights of the Vale um, show up with uh, Littlefinger the White, um, show up at Helm's Deep, and they turn the tide. Gandalf's finger. Yeah, and Sansa's there smirking. Um, but I did really like, they cut to Ramsey's face and he does an excellent job in facial, facial acting here because he has disbelief, but it's not like, Oh, he does it like you would expect to in the character or in the spirit of the role. So he, he doesn't break character, but he, he does a great job of just showing like disbelief as opposed to shock and awe. He's just like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, but I really like that. And, um, Seeing yeah, because I mean, Ramsey probably had no clue this was even a possibility, which seems crazy to begin with that an entire army can, can roll up in on his lands. You know? I, I don't know. Well, yeah, he does know the lands better than anyone, but I don't even does he even know. But he's the in, warden of the north. You would think that like uh, his bannermans didn't tell him that, you know, because you, you can't hide thousands of horsemen uh, riding on your lands because it's not like Winterfell's near the coast or anything or even near the Vale. So these people right. had to uh, once again nitpick who gives a shit. They oh, show another, up. Another question I had is: Have we ever seen the Mockingbird sigil other than on Littlefinger's? That coat? wasn't the Mockingbird sigil. That's the House of Aaron. The House of Aaron is a crescent moon and the Falcon. Oh, okay. Got so it. that is, uh, you know, the idiot sit suckers uh, banner, and not uh, Littlefinger's banner. Got it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so it was awesome seeing the horses just wreck the shield wall. I thought that was great, too. 
Yes, absolutely. Seeing them trample like people, you, see, you can see people going everywhere. Uh, it was just beautifully done. Um, so, it, it, and once again, it was one of those things where it, it was so damn predictable, but because it was so well done, you didn't give a shit. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, even last week we said at the end of the episode, I hope it isn't this giant battle only to have little fingers show up at the last minute. But the one thing, the other thing I wondered about this is where the hell did the archers go? Why didn't Ramsey just have the archers pelt? Um, unless the archers were part of the Umber formation, I don't know. That didn't make a lot of sense to me because it appears well, it's entire- the same way with uh, Davos had the archers, and the archers turned out to be just regular infantrymen. Because when they he decided not to shoot the arrows, the same guys that were launching arrows or about to launch arrows pulled out swords and went into the fray uh, to do some melee fighting. I mean, I, th- that is the explanation that makes sense. I just don't know that we saw them. Transition yeah. from archers to melee. We did not. Guys, uh, but no. regardless, Ramsey doesn't have a reserve. I mean, every general has a reserve so that you can have it to retreat. Uh, and he's a military genius, so I don't know why there's no one around him except for like two dudes. Uh, so he realizes that, oh shit, he's lost. He needs to hightail it back to Winterfell. Um, you know, John, <laughs> you have this weird uh, trifecta of John, Juan, Juan, and Tormund, you know, meeting together going, okay. Yeah, they all kind of pop up from the uh, the the scrum, and I and think that, it's best that they didn't do any talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They all pop. They all pop up from the scrum just to see Ramsey scampering back to Winterfell, and they just had like this unspoken agreement. Let's go fuck that kid up. Yeah, uh, and and once again, I feel like not having a lot of uh, dialogue here was probably in the best interest because you know dialogue would have just ruined this uh, a lot of this. Uh, so they they run after him. Oh, and I wanted to point out that Sansa was smiling as, you know, and they basically, when the Aaron forces showed up, they didn't zoom in on Littlefinger. They zoomed right past Littlefinger, right into Sansa, and they put it, made this all about her. Yes. So, mm-hmm. whatever, it's fine. Um, it's a good choice. Absolutely good choice. Um, but, you know, yeah, fucking Littlefinger, creep. Um, but yeah, so... So Juan Juan, Tormund, and John uh, run run uh, Ramsey down. He gets inside the castle of Winterfell, says, Oh, no big deal. We've they're not ready for a siege. We'll just wait them out. And then they hear uh, Juan Juan banging on uh, the the gate for Winterfell. Once again, and Winterfell in the books has two two Winterfell in the books has uh, two walls. Uh, uh, point of order. <laughs> so even if Juan Juan got through the first, he would have to contend with the second. Uh, well, how do you know Ramsey just right. wasn't at the second one yet? Whatever. Who gives a shit? Uh, yeah. Juan Juan starts breaking down the door. It takes a while, but he he does it, and it's his last uh, effort. Now, once again, this is a unlike the Blackfish. This is a self-sacrifice moment that actually made sense because it accomplished something. Um, it got you know it, it you know it broke down the the door at Winterfeld and it stopped a prolonged siege that they didn't want it. And trust me, as a viewer, you didn't want to see a fucking siege at Winterfell go on for all of season seven. So, um, so Juan Juan uh, breaks it down and the Stark forces break in and the Stark uh, archers show up and they're just like, they're no scoping dudes like choom, choom, choom. 360 no scope. Yeah. And, uh, Juan Juan looks like a fucking porcupine and is on his knees. I, I wrote that down too. I think that would be a great Halloween costume. Yeah. Porcupine Juan Juan. Yeah, Porcupine Juan Juan. And yeah. Porcupine Juan Juan as a reanimated white. How cool would that be? Oh, shit. Yeah, layers I just up layers. the game. You'd have to explain. It'd be one of those costumes that you'd have to explain to everybody. And you get tired of it. 
I don't know. Uh, you you definitely would. All right, so it's uh, not like dressing uh, like Jean from One Hot American Summer. <laughs> that's a, that's just a good move. Yeah. So anyway, um. So yeah, Juan Juan uh, is dying, and John's looking at him, and they have this moment, and John goes to like reach out to him, and it's this beautiful moment is taken away as Juan Juan gets shot in the eye with an arrow, which I hated. I feel like the show does that a lot. Anytime there's like a decent moment or like a a, a nice scene or like I hate to sound like a fucking sap, but I'm like, anytime it's nice, they gotta ruin it with something ridiculous, um, and it makes no sense. So Ramsey shoots him in the eye uh, instead of shooting Jon Snow in the face <laughs> or, yeah. or anything else. And I feel like it's just narratively lazy, uh, something that they've gone to the well a million times. They show the guy who's about to get killed, do something terrible in case you dum-dums have no fucking long-term memory and remember him raping Sansa. You get to see this guy do something despicable so you're okay with What's going to happen to him next? And um, yeah, why is the fool running away? I, I mean, it makes. I mean, he should be he, killing himself, uh, like Hitler in a bunker or something. Like, there's no yeah. win situation here. But he, and and why doesn't any of the archers just take him away? I mean, just take him out. Like all the Stark forces are in there. Well, because then we wouldn't have a dramatic moment, right? Of course. Once again, yeah. nitpicks. I'm not. Uh, this episode is great. Uh, by the way, spoiler alerts. If you haven't seen the episode, we're going to ruin the whole thing for you. Um, <laughs> the most unnecessary spoiler alert. I'm going to do it every time. Okay, that so that is way too late. In the episode. So Ramsey says, "Oh, you uh, offered tr- uh, single combat. I've reconsidered. Let's do it." And Ramsey, I guess, chooses a bow and arrow for his weapon of choice. Bad move as John throws down uh, his Valerian steel sword like it's garbage and picks up um, an an umber shield. It's got a bear on it. I, I don't know why. No, that's, that's a Mormont shield. Mormont shield. That's right. Sorry, not yeah. Umber, actually, that's kind of cool because you know uh, Leanna Mormont was only able to offer these sixty good men, and right. it turns out one of their shields was critical to Jon Snow. Uh, you know, the killing Ramsay. So right. I thought that good. was actually interesting detail. Good, good pickup there. So mm-hmm. um, good pickup, Ryan. Uh, so he gets a shield and he easily blocks three uh, successive shots from Ramsey at close range and proceeds to hit him in the face with a shield and just go to town on his face with his uh, fists. Now, at, one th- at this point, I was just like, oh man, luckily he's not wearing greaves or uh, gauntlets. And I was thinking, why the fuck isn't he wearing armor? <laughs> he's- Nobody's wearing armor. Like, I know this yeah. is all, like, uh, armor doesn't do well. It's just like when you watch space movies and they have, like, specially made space suits so you can see the actors' faces. Uh, because, you know, if everybody was wearing, like, helmets and stuff, it would be really hard to keep track of what's going on. The characters couldn't emote. But at the same time, I was just like, wow, that's weird. He didn't wear any armor. Okay, whatever. Uh, but he beats the shit out of him before he can just beat him to death with his bare hands. Sansa shows up, he sees her, and he stops, I guess, in deference to her. Um, and I was hoping Sansa was just going to walk right over and slit his throat, but we didn't get that. Uh, or teabag him. Oh, oh yeah, just strip teabag him. Lady, lady teabag him. <laughs> all right, so, uh, yeah, John stops, and then we get this scene of all the um, Bolton uh, banners getting cut down and the Stark banner showing up. Um. We show the championship banners being hung from the rafters. 
I did think that was cool. It uh, was cool. I liked yeah. how it was done because, in, in silence too. It wasn't like yes, exactly. it wasn't like a hurrah we won. It was just like okay, con- that's done. The contrast from the the incredible amount of chaos earlier to just the the, the simple. Whoosh. Yeah, it was a mundane. It was a simple act, but that's what the whole battle was about. Uh, so that was masterfully done. Masterfully mm-hmm. done. Uh, so I feel like uh, I give the showrunners a lot of crap, and I think it's primarily because of dialogue and some choices, but. Uh, when they can pull this off, because this was written by them, I don't know, uh, you know, what that means, but, uh, they were more heavily involved in this episode, let's say, than in others. Uh, it's not like they directed it, but they definitely, they, they were given writing credits, but that, that was so well done. It was, uh, you know, somber, but kind of like matter of fact statement. And, uh, Melisandre's looking at it and we get Davos looking at her, giving her the evil eye, alluding to the, you know, what's going to happen soon. Yeah, and you know, actually, I, I just recalled something I forgot to bring up earlier. Um, I, I read a, p- a portion of an interview between the director of this episode and I think it was Entertainment Weekly, maybe. And the scenes with Jon Snow, um, where he appears to be suffocating in the pile of bodies and the, the, the stampede, apparently that uh, they had a different scene written for there, and he was running out of time. And so he proposed this idea of Jon Snow being suffocated, it actually cut what the producers originally wrote, and they said, okay, just go ahead and do what we trust you. And it turned out to be a really incredible scene. That's um, that's amazing. That's probably a lesson that yeah. they should take like <laughs> to heart. Um, like I always feel like the cons- uh, the consolidation of power is usually bad even in the creative arts. Like, you know, just look at um George Lucas. You know, the the first couple Star Wars movies were amazing because, you know, he had pressure from the studio to to conform to whatever the rules were. He didn't even direct Empire Strikes Back. He let some other guy do it, who uh, it's the best Star Wars movie even to date. Uh, But once he got full reins, he could do whatever he wanted. Did you see Phantom Menace? I did. You know, (laughs) now this is spot racing. But um, despite Metachlorians... Uh, I just, yeah, I think that's a that's a cool point that, like, working in constraints and then hiring people and trusting their decisions. Let somebody uh, break your trust, uh, you know, give you a reason to break their trust before you're willing to uh, not trust them. So that's, that's awesome that they let that guy just uh, do that. And it was one of the most memorable moments of the battle because it's so practical. You know, you never see that, but that probably happens all the time. Like, people get killed at outdoor festivals being trampled. Um, you know what I mean? European soccer events. Yeah, so it, it's it's mundane, but it, it adds a, it added a level of realism. So that's a great little. So this is why we keep you on, Brian, so you can read, you know, EW or read some an article by somebody who read an EW article, and, <laughs> and then and then relate it to us. So thank you. I'm very good at that. Yes. Right. Uh, so yeah, uh, Davos is giving Melisandre the evil eye. So I guess he's holding a grudge. What a pussy. Um, yeah, he was uh, he was rubbing the uh, the little horse doll. Whatever it was at the same time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and then they cut down to the yard, and uh, the guys are bringing in Rickon's carcass, and John says, bury him in the crypts with the others uh, next to my, his father, or our father. Um, so he's going to get a, uh, a a Lord Stark's uh, burial. Um, oh, you're missing a detail here. Oh, Don't. tell me. Uh, John, says, John says that he's going to bury Rickon, and... Of course, there is, and I don't remember the exact details of this, but there is something in the crypts that will likely confirm the RLJ theory. 
what the fuck is that going to be? I don't know what it is. And I, now that I've opened my mouth, I'm wishing I had. <laughs> you wish you had because I'm pretty sure, at least in the books, John's been in the crypts several times. The only thing that's weird about the crypts is uh, it's all Lord, it's all King Starks and Lord Starks in there, except for Leanna uh, Stark. She's the only, not only the only woman down there, but the only uh, person buried down there that wasn't a Lord of Winterfell. So. So if you're listening to this and you know what this is, turn off this podcast for the next minute because this will infuriate you. But there's something to do with an obstructed portion of the catacombs or the crypts where uh, they are. God damn! You know what? You might want you might want to just cut this because I kn- this is a thing. And All right, I don't, we'll, we'll I don't look it up. We'll look it up, and we can. Um, I, you know what? I'm not going to cut this because. I hope to God, um, this is germane to the show because we'll get to it when we talk about uh, speculation for next uh, episode. But if they don't confirm the RL, R plus L equals J theory next week, I'm going to really hate this. It's going to drag all this goodwill down or a lot of it because they started um, this whole thing. They they introduced it this season with uh, Brand's flashbacks with Leanna. Uh, you know, riding a horse in Winterfell as they were going away. Uh, they revisited it with uh, the Tower of Joy. Like, why would the Three Eye Raven show him the Tower of Joy if it wasn't going to come back later on in the season? Um, so I'm hoping they do the RL R plus L equals J next week. Um, but if there's something in the crypts that can uh, reveal it, that's fine. Um, I just told, I just remember from the books. From what I remember is. The crypts kept going down so far, but they couldn't get past uh, yes. a certain point. But I think that's because it was so old. Like they're talking like thousands of years ago. Um, but whatever, we're not going to devolve into talking about that. It, if you can the, find the, it, yeah. Here's what it is: is that John has uh, frequent dreams about uh, mysterious destiny that awaits for him in the crypts. Other characters have dreams about the crypts, um, if, particularly Bran having dreams. So. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily as um, as firm as I just said it was. I don't know if firm is the right word there. But that that's at least the speculation is that there's something in the crypts that Once, uh, once that again, that sounds, uh, that sounds intriguing. I love it. I'm interested mm-hmm. in it. But since it's the show, I don't think it's going to happen because the simplest, dumbest answer is probably what's going to come to pass. So, so uh, yeah, he says to go bury uh, Rickon in the crypts. And then uh, Sansa asks John, where is he? And then we cut to uh, Ramsey uh, tied up to a chair in the kennels, uh, having this very intimate moment with Sansa. So so who the fuck put him in the kennel? Obviously, she didn't do it herself. She had dudes do it. But I, this so, is Okay, my- so you, you think that Sansa found, found wherever he was being held and then had somebody put him and put, um, put Ramsey in the kennel? Yes, and I felt okay. like John allowed her to do this because he didn't kill him when he had the chance, and he's punching the shit out of him. Yeah, no question about that. John left Ramsey for Sansa to finish. Right, but my problem is, is Ramsey hurt a lot of people. This death uh, isn't just hers alone. I feel like it should have been public <laughs> for several reasons. I mean, you allow the guys uh, that's everybody who suffered under him uh, to see it, make it public. Uh, whatever. Or yeah. every do like a thing, you know, where they take you go uh, beat up an old car and you pay two dollars to get five hits with it. Right. Yeah, they should have done that for him. Could have raised some money for uh, 
I don't know what what's a good cause that happened back then. Uh, uh, prevention of uh, herpes. Of, no, of the stone man disease. Yeah, great grayscale. Yeah, yeah, they sure. yeah <laughs> contribute the money to prevention of grayscale. Sure, they could have had everybody take a whack at them. That's fine. Doug, we're gonna find a cure. Yeah, we it's just a matter of time. All right, so uh, so yeah, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but once again. They get a scene where people are calling this just desserts. I don't think it's just desserts because, I mean, this is what would happen if the the phrase caught Ramsey because Ramsey, this is what Ramsey did to a lady, uh, the former phrase, Fat Walda, and her child. Yes. What Ramsey did to Sansa was fucking, uh, you know, take her by force. So I feel like a better, more, if this was truly going to be fitting, is he would have just been like, uh, the Red Woman would have brought Wan Wan back and he would have just sodomized Ramsey until he died. That would have been more suited, but whatever. That's ridiculous. But we get this scene. Your fan fiction is getting out of hand. (laughs) Hey, my fan fiction, I think is a better fan fiction than what we get from this show nine times out of ten. Certainly creepier. But yeah, I mean, but okay, so once again, it doesn't really make sense for Sansa. Like, the dogs don't really make sense for her to choose this sadistic, sadistic way to kill him. But anyway, she gets this scene where Ramsey wakes up and is trying to play mind games with Sansa. She's not falling for it. Uh, she says that, you know, the dogs won't obey you anymore because they've been starving for seven days, as you said yourself, which I didn't hear because I wasn't there because I took off on my horse. But regardless, uh, you know, there's not much to say. Ramsey gets uh, his face eaten off by the dogs, but they cut away. Um, and I feel like they minimized the how awful this was for Ramsey. I would have, I would have loved to hear him scream a little bit longer. I would have loved to see him like a CGI dog ripping chunks of flesh off his face and have Jesus him just Christ. Oh, that was enough. Like, that was fuck enough you. For me. What they did with Shireen. With now, burning alive, that was awful. What they did to him, yeah, no they, big but fucking gotten, deal. They've gotten a lot of backlash for some of the worst brutality in the show. I mean, you saw the goddamn viper's head explode. They couldn't see. They couldn't see like a chunk of like his eyes getting eaten out by a dog. For I'm not talking like we don't have to see it for like a minute. I'm just saying like uh, all we see is a dog bite his face. We see his hand and we hear him like kind of grumbling like he's getting a root canal. Oh, oh. Go to 4chan if you need to see that kind of stuff. All right, well, I do. It was enough for me. All right, it wasn't enough for me. I didn't think it was as uh, didn't make up for all the terrible things that he did. It it didn't seem as satisfying for for me, uh, you know. And Sansa walks away and has a little smirk on her face, like, "Yeah, I just killed a dude. Cool." I would have liked to seen this, uh, or would like to see this scene put to the uh, the song uh, "Who Let the Dogs Out." I think yeah. that'd be fun. I've seen also the meme of uh, uh, Mr. Burns from The Simpsons saying, oh, release, release the, the hounds. hounds. Yeah. Uh, uh, but there was another comment by Ramsey that uh, made it seem like Sansa might be pregnant. Yeah. And it, this goes back to what she said to John earlier. He's like, I can, st- John, Sansa said to John, I can still feel what he did to me. Uh, that was the little finger. Me. Whatever. Who cares? He, she said it, right? People care. God damn it. Fuck those people. <laughs> if you're one of those people, fuck you. Uh, but yes, she said, I can still feel what Ramsey did to me inside me. That led to some people speculate that she's pregnant. Um, Ramsey said, I'm always inside you, which leads, um, that leads us to that as well. 
But uh, I want to bring a third piece of information in here, um, and this is this is where I contribute to the podcast, and I really don't very often. But in the earliest like True. outline, <laughs> no argument there, right? <laughs> True. <laughs> so in the earliest like outline of uh, there's like a early outline of this whole thing by George R. R. Martin, and he had Sansa marrying Tyrion and having a child with Tyrion. And still being uh, like a hostage in King's Landing, like well into the later half of this story. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities that uh, he changed his mind and from being, uh, you know, a despicable situation where she's pregnant with one of her enemies' uh, children to a different enemy, Ramsay. But at the same time, what does that what does that do from a narrative perspective to have her pregnant with Ramsay's child? Um. I don't know. I don't know that it does anything. So, yeah. So who cares? Well, uh, that's that's my problem yeah. with it. I've heard this theory before, and the reason I haven't indulged it is because it doesn't really matter. I don't. I don't see how it's. Yeah, I don't know what they would do with that that creep baby. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe trebuchet baby it. <laughs> I guess. All um, right. So that's the end of the episode. I just yeah. wanna, I want to say in summation, this was a goddamn terrific episode. I I griped through this whole thing, and I brought up my nitpicks, but still. This is one of the best hours of TV I think has ever been put out there. Um, I think it blew away a hard home. I mean, you were a big fan of hard home, but I just thought this was so much better just because it had so much bigger implications on the plot. I mean, hard home was great as far as a spectacle, but it didn't involve primary characters besides John and Tormund, and they both got out of there alive. It, it really didn't seem like a lot was on the line. Uh, this it did, and so it had the narrative weight and the action was just ratcheted up. And there was no, uh, as somebody else pointed out on uh, the interwebs, there was, this battle was not about swords and sorcery. It was just brutal, realistic combat. Um, for all those reasons, I've got to give this a 4.5. Yeah, I'm going to give it a steak sandwich. And, he, and the reason he didn't give it a prime rib sandwich is no whirlybird. Uh, so we're still Whirly Bird uh, watch. So disappointing. In the books, I think that the giants had like uh, they had giant logs with with uh, rocks tied to the end of them. And I'm going to take your word for that. I don't remember that, but still, that that would make a lot more sense. Like Wanwa you know, just C- goes into combat, just bare fisted. It doesn't. The CGI budget would have been through the roof if he was doing right. That. They can't even afford to do goddamn w- bigger than normal wolves. They can't do uh, fucking. Uh, giant, giant bat. I don't know. Disappointing. And you know what's funny is uh, that there's people online are speculating. You've heard the, the expression of shaggy dog story, which is basically a long story that leads nowhere. And uh, so that looks like that's what the point of Rickon was, naming his dog Shaggy Dog. It's another George R. R. Martin building something into the story that's uh, a little bit more clever than you might uh, anticipate on first blush. I guess we do, once again that's not confirmed because this is the show. Uh, I guarantee that even if it's long and worthless, it'll be more enjoyable to sit through than whatever we had to sit through on the show. So I'm not willing to uh, concede that point until the books come out. So fair enough. All right, so that's the end of this episode. Um, then we get the next week on. Um, I can recap this unless you you got it as no, well. No, feel free. This this lo- it looks like it's going to be a little bit more. Episode right. That- How I would characterize episode ten, usually in past uh, seasons, has been the denouement or like the uh, the coming down from the implications of the previous episode, and also setting up what's going to happen next season. And that doesn't mean there's never any 
oh shit moments. Like the oh shit, the oh shit moment from I think it was season four. Um, we had the big mountain versus the viper scene, which was amazing. Uh, but in episode ten, we had Tyrion killing Tywin, which was equally amazing, but it wasn't a huge action set piece. Um, so I feel like we're gonna get something like that where a lot of things are gonna happen, but it's not gonna be, you know, huge, um, you know, action set pieces or anything, um, anything like that. But I I do expect at least one holy shit moment next week. So I feel like somebody important is gonna die. I don't know if it's going to be Large Marge, Cersei, um, the Sparrow, Jamie. We'll see, but I feel like we could see something, a, a no shit moment happen next week. Maybe a Walter McPoyle. I would love the phrase to get killed. We'll get to it. Thanks. All right, so uh, the next week on starts with Cersei and Large Marge preparing for their ba- their trials, and uh, the High Sparrow's talking. I don't remember what he says. Didn't write it down. Uh, but he also lifts some dude's he- chin up. Like, the guy just confessed to something, so I'm guessing it might be somebody confessing at one of the trials. I'm not sure. I didn't recognize the guy. I thought that... I, I, I guess that might be Loris, although it didn't really look like it him. It didn't look like him at all, but yeah. it could be. Um, Loris with a haircut. Yeah, so the trial's gonna happen. Um, next, we see a white raven flying to Winterfell. Uh, that, uh, if you read the books, that heralds the official start of winter. The white raven sent out from the Citadel, uh, and the maesters basically say... Okay, it's officially the winter. That's like, you know, on like the official first day of summer is always like right around now, June 21st, June 20th, where it's been hot as shit for a month already. So when does summer really begin? When does winter really begin? Who gives a shit? Uh, but that's, I imagine they're making a big deal about that. Um, then we get John imploring Sansa that they need to trust each other now more than ever, and they embrace and hug. He gives her a little kissy. Um that's probably clearing up the questions that we had earlier. All right, but I don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, we need more drama, so we'll see what happens. Well, they have to hash out that issue. I mean, they, he, yeah, he's got to bring up the fact that hey, why didn't you tell me about this whole uh, army that could have saved my ass and stopped me from you know so, potentially dying? Little finger, huh? Yeah. So we got to talk about that. All right. So the phrase and Jamie are celebrating their victory over Riverrun. And they're toasting, and it looks like a happy moment for them. Usually happy moments for anybody mean that uh, something bad's going to happen. So I hope this is the moment we see the phrase get their comeuppance. But since Jamie's there, I don't know if it'll happen. What are your feelings about that? I'm not sure what the device would be to have them uh, get their comeuppance. Right. I, I, really, I don't know. Some people have postulated it might be Arya, but I feel like Arya getting there um, is going to be a little crazy. Plus, I don't know if Walter Frey's on our list. Um, I mean, he definitely should be, but I don't know if he is. So, I, I don't know what's going to happen to the phrase. They'll probably stick around for another season, but I would love them to all get just genocidally uh, murdered by, like, every every cup that they toast is poisoned with wine. That'd be amazing. Like, a whole or, bunch of Joffrey's happening at once. That'd be terrific. Or a wrecking situation. Oh, yeah, but we haven't even seen the Manderleys show up yet, uh... And I don't want to get into the Rat King situation yes. this later in the podcast, so we'll just skip right over that. Uh, then we get Littlefinger telling Sansa, you know, Sansa asks him, what do you want? He says, I thought you knew what I wanted all along. What a creep. Um, I'm not sure what it is. I mean, I think that they're hinting at that he wants to marry her, but at the same time, he sold her off to Bolton to become married. So I, I don't know what this is going to be. Right, much. and and obviously 
she promised uh well she's they've got to be compensated for helping their asses out basically for uh making sure the starks weren't completely driven and extinct house aaron and uh by proxy littlefinger have to be rewarded for what they did so i'm curious to see what littlefinger is going to ask for um yeah you're probably right it's probably her hand in marriage and maybe she has to do it but I'm hoping Sansa, you know, sacks up and kills him somehow or removes him from the game uh, using Guile. Who knows? Uh, you know, Sonic Boom. So we see Bran. Oh, wait. Davos confronts Melisandre, but not with violence, with words mm-hmm. uh, in front of John, trying to, like, get her to confess. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. I'm curious to see what John will do because... Yeah, it's horrible that she burned a child alive, but she did also bring him back. I'm not saying that like squares the deal. I just think it muddies the water enough, muddies the waters enough that if, I mean, I feel like it would have been better if Davos just would have slit her throat um, and explained himself afterwards. Now at this point, there's maybe wiggle room for Melisandre to get away or just just not pay um, the price. But yeah, something's going to happen there. I really don't care. And I don't see how Melisandre factors into plot going forward. Um, if she's not going to bring John back whenever he falls, I'm not sure either. And I don't know because she clearly doesn't have much advice for him and didn't really help in this battle, the last battle at all. I don't know right, what, what is her deal she is. what is she doing now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we see Bran. We just see him. We don't we don't see anything else. So Bran's going to be in next episode. That's all we know. Um, don't know what's happening with Bran. Not at all. I don't think we're going to get much clarification there. Hopefully, we'll just get the R plus L equals J theory, and then he'll go away uh, until next season. I mean, I think he's on the way to the wall. I think that's the only thing that we know at this right, point. Right, but, you know, who's at the wall? Dolores. That's Nobody we care about is up there, so I feel like it's not going to be impactful even if he gets there. Um, so his his only contribution, I think, can be the R plus L equals J. Maybe I'm wrong. Then we get Danny caressing Wario's uh, cheek. Hopefully Dario dies next week because he's awful. Um, and then some dude walks out of a building resolutely, and it looks like it's in King's Landing, and it looks like he's going towards a trial by combat, but obviously that's not the case, but I don't know what that is. Do you recognize that? It might have been Lancel. No, I did not. I don't know what that was, but um, it seemed intriguing. It looked like somebody emerging from a you know uh, the shadows of a building into uh, the streets. Uh, but with a resolute like strut or not strut, but like a, a march, like somebody going to meet their destiny. Mm. Um, so I'm curious to see what that is. Um, then Tyrion tells Danny she's in the great game now, and the great game is terrifying. Whatever, who cares? I don't know what Danny's. What can <laughs> what can Danny possibly? What's 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 next for Danny besides she decides to leave for Westeros, which is what I'm hoping for, just to move this plot along. Also, she doesn't know at this point. I mean, she's almost that this is a dangerous game. Right. Like, yeah, she she should know it's dangerous. Why why yeah. is Tyrion telling her this? But whatever. Um but yeah, I'm I'm hopeful for next uh episode. Uh but yeah, I obviously they build up a lot of good um goodwill with me with this episode for crying out loud. So Agree. It's been a roller coaster ride. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. I agree. And we're we're gonna do a more full season recap um after the season finale, but yeah, this has been up and down, but I think we've got uh, maybe the strongest episode in the series history uh, this season and really only one or two turkeys out of the entire thing. Right. Um, we've had some really great episodes, but also some really low points. But overall, this is much better than last season. Last season is the impetus for why I started doing 
the podcast because it was so it 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 just disgusted me. It had so many low points. Um, it was disgusting. It was <laughs> reprehensible. Sure, repugnant. Should... Whatever. Right. Uh, but yeah, um, I'm glad I did this. Um, and I'm yelling into the void with you. This is this has been fun. And we'll do it one more time to recap uh, next week's episode. And then, uh, like Brian said, we will do a series wrap-up. And then we'll find a way to keep uh, yelling at you fuckers for um, hopefully the months to come until Season 7 comes around. All right. If there's nothing else to add, Brian? Uh, No, there's not. Thank you for listening. All right. Thank you. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye, guys. Sorry.